good to be here, and it's good to be back uh, at Mamlaka Hill Chapel, Raqqa. As you've heard, my name is Ted Wahome. I'm one of the pastors at Mamlaka Hill Chapel City Campus. Um, I've been uh, right now on staff maybe for about nine years, um, and I thank God for the ministry that continues uh, at Mamlaka. I really, really thank God for the ministry here uh, at Raqqa Campus. When I'm on leave, uh, I don't live too far from here, so this is my church. Uh, I come, I dress down, uh, I wear jeans, uh, and I wear T-shirts. Uh, so that no one can ask me any difficult question, you know, no one can give me any work uh, and tell me this or that. Uh, I, j- I just come to, to relax and to enjoy, and I really enjoy uh, my time here. The last time I was here, Reverend Canon uh, Peter Karanja uh, was was uh, was was sharing uh, God's word. I'd like to uh, turn our attention to the book of John, uh, chapter one, uh, chapter ten. I beg your pardon, from verse one to verse twenty-one. John chapter ten. Uh, that's where we're going to be uh, hanging out a little bit. Um, and and uh, before we do that, I wonder if you've ever had this experience. You were probably talking about someone or gossiping someone, and uh, you didn't know that they were, he- they were there, right there with you. You know, probably they were just standing uh, behind you, and, and you were busy. Maybe you were even mimicking them. You know, you are, you, are, you are saying how they talk, you talk how they, you know, how they talk. And you didn't know, and everyone is just trying to tell you... Cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. Um, I, I think if, if I gave you each of, uh, a mic, you'd probably uh, say something like that. You either know someone or you've been that someone who was talking about the other person. And, and you just didn't know who, who's in whose presence you are, right? In the text that we're going to consider this afternoon, uh, there's a group of people, uh, and these are the Jews, uh, who did not necessarily know in whose presence they were. But if they only knew what, uh, who he was and who he was promising to be, uh, they would have had a much better relationship with him uh, and even rejoiced in the ministry that he was uh, giving. Um, one of the things uh, that, that I do in my spare time is I, is I like to watch a movie here and there or a series. And some time ago, a series came about uh, that detailed the life of the monarchy in uh, Britain. And uh, you probably know uh, it's now been about 10, 10 days since Queen Elizabeth died. Uh, you probably know that she became queen when she was right here in Kenya, right? Uh, she was somewhere in, uh, in Nyeri, at Treetops. Um, and and uh, what happened was she, she was daughter of King George, uh, and he was the second born. He was not the one who was supposed to be really the one in line. Uh, their brother, the first born, Al- king, uh, Albert, uh, was supposed to be the king. But Albert decided to uh, marry somebody who was a divorcee. And in, in, in that culture, if you marry a divorcee, you pretty much forego uh, your right to the monarchy. And so that's how King George became uh, king. And when he died, Queen Elizabeth, uh, right there in Treetops, had ascended to her room, a princess, she came down a queen. And she went back. And after a short time, she had a sister. And that sister fell in love. And guess what? This guy was also a divorcee. So she knew what was at stake. And so she's trying to think about this situation and trying to wonder, how can I take care of my sister? I really want her to be happy. She wants her sister to be happy. But at the same time, she knows what that would mean. And so she decides to, you know, she's just thinking about this. And and you know how sisters are. Uh, Sisters, you know, they they have fun, they fight sometimes, uh, but you just have a good time. And kunaile, you know, kuzoyana, that that sisters might have. And so one time... She, she's just walking for her into the presence of the queen. And, and to date, by the way, you can't just walk for her. Uh, I, I didn't have another word. For is a, is a, is a, is a, what were they called? Tanakali is a Saudi. Right? For four, four and four, uh, among others. Right? And so she was just walking for her into the presence of the queen. 
and uh, the queen, you know, is, is, is right there thinking about this situation. And, and, and at that point, the queen literally just says to her, uh, please, don't forget that you're speaking to a sovereign. You could have cut the tension in that room with a scissors, right? And that's the point. Sometimes we miss the significance of who we are in the presence of, and these guys do just the same. So we're going to read John chapter 10 from verse 1 to verse 21 and uh, see what the Lord has for us today. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and this is what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill, to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for, sh- for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have the other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And this is the reading of God's holy words. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God indeed. Allow me to ask that we would pray yet again. God, at this point, I ask that you would help me to step out of the way. Forbid it that anyone but you should receive the glory. I pray that you would fill me even now with your spirit. And I pray that, Lord, you would grant that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts will be acceptable before you. I pray that, Lord, you would speak to us and that, Lord, you would minister to us this afternoon. I pray that each of us, O God, would have a time and a meaningful communion with you. We thank you, Lord, and we bless you. We pray these things be living and trusting in Jesus' name. If you'd like some mental handles uh, just to guide through our sermon today, I have three points. Uh, And the first is the meaning of the Good Shepherd, the ministry of the Good Shepherd, and the mission of the Good Shepherd. Meaning, ministry, mission. Say that with me. Meaning, ministry, mission. Just to give you some mental handles, I have been told I speak fast sometimes, so bear with me. Uh, If I do, I will try and uh, slow down, all right? Um, And so... The, the, the context that we find ourselves in as we get into our first point is somewhat helpful for us to go to verse 21 of chapter 10. 
All right? Uh, we're talking first about the meaning of the good shepherd. Verse 21 says, Others said, it's referring to Pharisees. Others said, these are the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, I don't know about you, but for the longest time, when I read this text, John chapter 10, I, ne- I did not ever consider that there was perhaps a context to which it connected itself. But you read verse 21 and you realize it was in the context of something that had happened before. And that is what is recorded in chapter 9. In chapter 9, there was a man born blind from birth, right? And the Bible tells us that Jesus, as he was passing by, decided to, um, you know, uh, received, we were told Jesus answered, let me read from verse 1. And he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. A very interesting encounter. And, and I think that it is true that many of us, or we have perhaps had, when somebody is going through something, we start to ask ourselves, what is it that this person did? Right? Or what is going on in their family or something like that? Uh, in fact, people have said that people don't just die uh, in, in African context. Death must be explained. Uh, and, and this is kind of the same worldview that we find in chapter 9. These guys ask, did this man sin in a previous life? This is something that is held by the Hindu worldview, right? Or the Buddhist worldview or the, or the pantheistic worldviews. And this is the same thing that we find here. But Jesus will not have any of that. He said, it is for the glory of God. It is for the, that the works of God might be glorified and might be displayed in him. And so he goes ahead and heals this man. But what happens is that the Pharisees of the day will not have or will not believe that this is truly the work of someone who is sent from God. And so one of the questions that we find in chapter 9 is, who is this man? The man, the blind man that was healed, says, this guy has to be a prophet. Another... Uh, portion of scripture that tells us what people thought about him was that it says this man had to be the Christ, right? And so the question is, who is this man? Well, thanks be to God, Jesus answers for himself. In chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 2, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus invokes the shepherd imagery. This would have been uh, an imagery that was very familiar to those people. Uh, as you know your Bibles, and I'm sure you do, uh, the, the, the Jewish society was a very agrarian society. They, had, they kept livestock. Uh, you remember a woman like Rebecca, uh, Isaac's wife? She was a shepherdess, right? Um, uh, you remember that uh, the time when Jesus appeared uh, with his angels. Uh, he appeared to shepherds. So this was something that would strike uh, a chord with them. But there's something that even I, as I was studying before, I, I, I never quite realized that the shepherd imagery had more to do with the relationship between a king and his subjects than anything else. When Jesus invoked the shepherd imagery, what he was really saying was, I am a king. Let me see if I can convince you. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 8 says, you don't need to turn there, allow me to just read it for us. This is in the context of the covenant that God makes with David. And it says, Now therefore, thus you, it's talking about prophet Nathan, shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pastures, from following the sheep, that you shall be prince over my people Israel, and you shall shepherd my people. 
The psalmist picks up on this idea in Psalm 78 from verse 70 to verse 72. It says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with skillful hand. In fact, the interesting thing is that behind John 10 is Ezekiel 34. And this one I'd like us to turn to. Ezekiel chapter 34 is a prophecy that was written against the kings of Judah. And this is what the scripture says about the kings and how they had failed in their mandate. Ezekiel chapter 34 from verse 1 to verse 6. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, you do not feed the sheep, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and sheep were scattered. And my sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And the question you might ask is this. How does this affect cocoa growing in Ghana? I'm so glad that that's the question you, you are asking. That's the question that you were tossing in bed around last night, asking yourself, Pastor, help us understand how this affects cocoa growing in Ghana. Well, I'm so glad you asked. The truth and the lesson for us here is just, just like the children of Israel then, it was possible for us to put our hope in our national leaders. You see, this is what the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were both religious and civil leaders in the nation of Israel. They constituted part of what was known as the Sanhedrin. You probably know this from the book of Acts, when the apostles found themselves in trouble, before whom were they taken? Before the Sanhedrin, before the Pharisees and the scribes. These were the nation's leaders. And just like us today, it is possible that oftentimes we put our hope, and I might say rightly so, in our leaders. David, towards the close of his life, said this about what a good leader means. He said, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. David is saying, it's a wonderful thing when we have wonderful leaders over us. David is acknowledging that leadership is a gift from God, that God is the one that sets good leaders upon his nation. But every leader is just but a human being. Every leader, like a Pharisee, was just but a normal human being plagued with sins, plagued with infirmities, plagued with every kind of weakness. I, I dare say that perhaps one of the reasons why, and, and, and I think I've spoken to a number of people who, who seem to have been disappointed with, uh, you know, perhaps one of the things that they, they might have hoped that the outgoing president did this or that. And I, I, I wanted to say to them, you know what? The Bible shows us that However good a leader is, they will never match up to what 
God says about what a true leader needs. Because every single human, every single leader is but a human being. And the Pharisees let down this people. Jesus, in fact in the NIV, chapter 10 verse 1 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Pharisees, the idea of the good shepherd was an affront to these leaders. Dear friends, I, like you, sat down in front of my TV on the 13th of September. And I, like you, have hopes for this administration. I, like you, hope that fuel will reduce because right now I have 179 reasons to walk to work or to look for a bicycle, right? I mean, I, I go to the shelves and I look for soccer and I wonder, wait, what is this you're selling at 250 shillings? And sometimes you ask yourself, wait, if it is expensive for you, what about the guy in Kibra? What about the, our neighbors and our friends down here at Gidogoro? Right? Our leaders are God's gift to us. But like any human leader, only Jesus, only the true king is able to fulfill his manifesto. Only Jesus is able to fulfill every single hope that we might have in a leader. Do not look for your ultimate hope in Dr. Ruto. I dare say that. You know why? Because this is not to say that I'm wishing or praying that anyone might, 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 might not fail. It is to say that our ultimate hope is in Jesus Christ, in the government that he will set. All right? Now, that is not to say that we are to disrespect or to dishonor the leaders of this country. In fact, one of the things that Romans 13 makes clear, and this was talking about Emperor Nero. He was saying, submit to the authorities because they are God's servants. We have been called to pray for our leaders. We've been called to hope for the best for our leaders. We've been called to pray for their personal lives. Pray that even their marriage will do well. Pray that the, the, the faith that we have seen will continue to blossom. Pray for Rigada Gashagwa and his good wife. Pray, ideally said play, sitting with, uh, with, 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 with uh, Mwaura. Just five minutes, you know. Pray for our leaders, dear friends. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our leaders. But do not put your ultimate hope in them because they will fail you. Just like any earthly human leader will not they do not have the capacity to sustain the weight of our full expectations, right? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's basically saying, I am the good king. I am the noble king. In fact, the word that is translated good is perhaps best translated worthy or beautiful or noble. Jesus is saying, earthly rulers are my servants, but your ultimate hope is in me. That is the meaning of the good shepherd. So let us see why Jesus says this. Why Jesus asks us to put his hope, our hopes, I beg your pardon, on him. Therefore, we want to consider the ministry of the good shepherd. How different is Jesus? There are four ministries that Jesus speaks of that I would like to highlight to our attention. The first ministry of the good shepherd, of the good king, of the true king that we find in Jesus is that he has an intimate knowledge of his sheep. Jesus has an infinite knowledge of his sheep. Verse 3 says, To him the gatekeeper opens. 
the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, I'd like to first start by saying that I am a seasoned shepherd. But I suspected that you might not believe me. All right? I am a seasoned shepherd. I have dealt with sheep a little bit. And I'd like the media team to help by uh, bringing some images uh, for us that demonstrate and show that I am a good shepherd. I don't know if it is here. All right. So, in the Meru culture, there's something called Koingera Ngombe. Any Merus in the house? You probably know this. This is exactly, thank you. You probably know this, right? In the Meru culture, and, and this is what the equivalent of what a Rorashio would look like, right? What happens is uh, you bring your, literally, if, if, if somebody was to follow the, the, full, uh, the full culture, you bring a number of animals, right? And, and you're supposed to bring them to the pen of your to-be-in-laws, okay? And what happens is that uh, either the previous night they will put them uh, aside and then the following morning they will come and bring them together to signify that the, the two uh, families are merging. Now, my good father-in-law, who I love very much, decided to make it interesting a little bit. And what he did is that he went and mixed all the animals together. And then he said, Tafuta yako. And so that was me, uh, first in a suit, because I was not uh, necessarily uh, waiting for and uh, expecting that I would be looking for sheep, right? I was busy uh, trying to look for sheep that were not following suit. See what I did there? <laughs> not following suit to my pursuit. I kept looking for the sheep. And I kept crying and asking and, and, and you know, calling them by name. I, I was speaking to Reverend Maura and he was telling me how, uh, as, as, as somebody who's brought up sheep, sheep tend to know actually the actual name by which they are called, right? And they respond to the shepherd's voice. All right, we can, we can do away the photos for now. In the Hebrew culture and in the Jewish culture, what used to happen was that families did not have many sheep. So what would happen is that they had an enclosure, all right? And in this enclosure, several families would put their sheep. And then they would assign a doorkeeper to stand at the door. And each family would propose and bring out uh, uh, either a son or a daughter who would be the shepherd. And that shepherd would every morning go and call the individual sheep and ask them to come out. So if the sheep pen had about 300 sheep, the guy would stand at the front and he would cry out and call them by name. And Maura was telling me that this is actually true, that sheep literally respond to the names that you have given them. This is exactly the picture that Jesus wants to show. Jesus wants to show that he knows his sheep, that he knows his people. I don't know about you, but perhaps you may be connected to the, to the powers that be right now, but not every president or every leader might have the intimate knowledge with every one of the single 50 million Kenyans. Jesus is a different king. He is a king who has millions of sheep. He is a king who has millions of sheep, not just in this generation, but in past generations. In fact, I dare say that Jesus' sheep are perhaps go into the hundreds of millions. And yet Jesus knows intimately every one of his sheep. He knows them by name. The Bible says that he has numbered even the hairs on your head. There's a difference, dear friends, between counting and numbering. Counting means you have 4,000 or 44,000 hair, hairs on your head. Numbering means that this morning when you are combing your hair, 
God knows that hair number 8,549 fell down. (laughs) That's how intimately Jesus knows his sheep. Do you see why he can say that I am the true king? Do you see why he says that I am the good shepherd? Jesus knows his sheep. This morning you might be anxious about your family. You might be anxious about your marriage. You probably are not where you really hope to be. You haven't spoken for days or for weeks. You might be anxious about your child and school fees. Goodness, parents, I feel with you. This year you have paid school fees more times, right, than maybe you have been paid salaries. I mean, you, you blink like this and you pay, uh, you pay school fees. You blink again and you pay school fees. Jesus is intimately acquainted with your situation. And here is the best part. Jesus is the kind of shepherd who has the means and the ability to help you and to sort you out. I hope and I pray that one of the things that will, you will leave this day, this someone with, is confidence in your shepherd. Because he knows you intimately. Jesus' ministry, not just his intimate knowledge, but the fact that he offers safety. A second ministry of the good shepherd is that he gives safety. The Bible says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find out, uh, go in and out and find pasture. One of the things that I, 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 I wondered is how the shepherd can both be the shepherd and the door. And this has to take us back to the context. And, and I don't know if the media team has a picture of what a sheep pen looks like. Because I think this, this might be helpful in helping us understand how Jesus can both be the door and the shepherd, right? And the good shepherd. The sheep pens were constructed of stone, which uh, sort of went around an enclosure. And at the top they would put either a barbed wire or something like that, or thorns, so that animals cannot get in. And then they had an enclosure or something like a door that used to serve as the entrance for the sheep to go in and out. And what would happen is that they wouldn't put an actual door. The shepherd himself would either sit in the place of where the entrance is or just maybe one or two meters away from that door. So Jesus, in claiming to be the good shepherd and in claiming to be the door, means and says that he is the safety and the security for the sheep. Friends, I don't know if you've interacted with sheep a lot. Sheep are not the most intelligent creatures in this world. It has been noted very well that one sheep might go into danger and a thousand sheep will follow suit even though they are seen. There are sometimes videos of sheep, you know, like literally uh, jumping off a cliff. And literally hundreds of other sheep just follow through. Whee! And they go down to their death. The Bible calls us sheep. That is not a compliment. It means that we are vulnerable. It means that without the shepherd, we will jump and plunge ourselves into ruin. It means that without the shepherd, we are so vulnerable to all kinds of dangers. Without the shepherd, the wolf will come in and have a field day. Without the shepherd, we will destroy ourselves. Jesus invokes that kind of idea to show us that he is our safety and our security. In verse 28, this is what he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Friends, if you are in Jesus, you are in the most secure hands possible. 
The Bible tells us that one of the things that plagues sheep is sin. We tend to break ourselves because actually one person has said rightly, we don't break God's laws, we break ourselves against God's laws. We break ourselves against God's laws. We sin and sin is self-destructive. The Bible says that Jesus is the one who takes away our sin. All of humanity's enemies, sin, Satan, and the world, Jesus has conquered. The Bible says that if we uncover our sin before Jesus, Jesus covers our sin. Jesus is the atonement of our sins. The, the, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 21, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This is how Jesus deals with us. Concerning Satan, Jesus said, Do not be afraid, I have overcome the evil one. Concerning the world, Jesus says, do not be afraid, I have overcome the world. Friends, if you are not in Jesus, you're not safe. You will not make it in this life. Sometimes I look at my own life and I wonder, how do you as a non-Christian make it? Life is so hard already. Run to the good shepherd. He wants to be your safety. He wants to be your security. Are you here and you are plagued by sin? Last week, Reverend Munala talked about the sin that so easily entangles in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. There are things that, that we find ourselves tripping ourselves over. Things that we are not able to get off ourselves. The Bible tells us that even regarding that, Jesus is our safety. He is our security. When we sin, we lose our communion with Jesus. Jesus does not allow us to remain in sin and, and, and sort of treat it like it is nothing. He paid the ultimate price so that we might not sin. So when we sin, we lose communion with Jesus. We don't feel close to Jesus. But when we sin, we don't lose union with Jesus. We might lose communion with Jesus, but we don't use, lose union with Jesus. The fact that you are a Christian, I believe, means that God has you in his hand and nothing can get you away from the hand of Jesus. Romans chapter 8 says that there is nothing that will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Not affliction, not angel, not demon, not hunger, not sword. Nothing will ever separate us from the love that is in Jesus Christ. Christian, are you discouraged in your fight against sin? Are you discouraged that this thing, man, keeps tripping me up? Run to Jesus. He is the true king. He is the good shepherd. He doesn't look at you and think, ugh. He looks at you and says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved child. I will not, he will not, I will not let him go. Jesus, the third ministry, he promises satisfaction. So first he promises intimate knowledge. He knows us. He takes care of us. He takes care of every single thing that concerns us. Secondly, he gives us safety and security. This is why Jesus can say, I am the true king. I am the noble king. Don't look to anyone in this world. And not just our national leaders. Sometimes we put our hope and our trust in, in, in the networks that we have. We say, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm like three calls away from the, from the prezo. I'm like three calls away from... Uh, from, 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 you know, sorting out all my issues. Uh, a friend of mine recently uh, joked and told me how he saw a meme uh, that said, how much can your circle of 10 friends raise in 24 hours uh, if you are in trouble? And he said, attention, my friends can raise attention, you know? Uh, <laughs> I don't know how many, you know? Uh, I, I don't know how much your friends can raise, uh, whether it's attention or not. Jesus is the best connection to have. Right? You may not have the, the, the right proper networks to raise 15 million within 24 hours. You may not have the proper networks to raise, you know, whatever amount within 24 hours. Oh, but if you have Jesus, 
You are in the, the right hands. Spurgeon said, if you have nothing in this world and you have God, you have everything. And if you have um, everything in this world but you have God, but you don't have God, you have nothing. Do not trade. Do not trade having Jesus for having stuff. Jesus is the true king, the noble king, because he promises, thirdly, satisfaction. This is the ministry of the good shepherd. Look at verse 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says that the JD for the evil one is simply to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan's agenda is simple. Here's the thing, friends. Satan hates you. He really, 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 really does. And here is the other truth. Satan is a million times stronger than we are. Right? That's, that's, that, that's true. Do you know how the Bible paints just how... Because it calls him the prince of the demons, right? Satan is an angel. In, in the Bible, there was a place where one angel went to fight. And the Bible says that one angel struck 85,000 men without lifting a finger. How much do you think Satan, who commands a third of God's former legions wills in this life. If you're not in Jesus, you are really in the hands of a bad, wicked master who hates you and is more powerful than you. Why would you want to be in, that, in those hands? Why would you be in the hands of Satan? He is a bad ruler. The Bible calls him the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. And it says that he... Hey, I need to be careful how I say this. He goes around roaring like a lion. I need to say that carefully. Like a roaring lion, right? Looking for someone to devour. Maura, you will not confuse me. <laughs> Why? Why would you remain in the hands of Satan? Bible says, Satan came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Satan will warp your understanding of what true treasure is. Satan will tempt you to sin so that you might destroy yourself. Satan will kill and destroy everything that is good in your life, your children, your marriage, your business, your soul. But Jesus, Jesus came that we might have life. Jesus is the king who opens up his bounty. Jesus is akin to the king who goes to his kingdom and says, take the best pieces that you want. Walk into my kingdom and have the best. The Bible says that we shall inherit the earth. It says that God himself and all that he represents will be our inheritance. One of the most liberating truths in this life is that God did not need to create us. You go to the book of John chapter 17 and you're introduced to the high priestly prayer. God, Jesus is describing the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, it is a beautiful relationship. There is perfect love, perfect joy, perfect harmony. There is no competition between the Godhead. God had everything he needed in eternity past before he created the heavens, before he created the earth, before he created us. God did not need to create you and I. So we must ask ourselves, why did he do it? Why did God create us? You know why? It was to share his goodness. It was to share his glory. It was to share everything that was in him. God wanted us to be part of the inter-Trinitarian dance. C.S. Lewis puts it that way, that God was involved in this eternity past to eternity future dance that was perfect, and he said, I want people to share it with. 
The Westminster Confession says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Friends, Satan is a bad master. And if you are not a Christian this morning, you are in the hands of a horrible master. You think you have a bad boss? Try Satan. You think you have, you've heard of bad bosses? Try Satan. Oh, he is bad. Run to the arms of Jesus, the true king, Jesus, the good shepherd. But fourthly and lastly, do you know why Jesus can offer us all these things? Do you know why Jesus can offer us security? Do you know why Jesus can offer us intimate knowledge? You know, the whole Bible tells us that we are born as enemies of God. We are, not, we are born with a severed relationship with God. We are not born when we are okay with God. We are born outside of Jesus Christ. We have a broken relationship without, without God. In fact, the Bible calls us enemies of God. But this shepherd was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. This shepherd was willing to come under the crosshairs of the enemy and to allow wicked men to put him to death, the bread of life, the light of the world. The true vine allowed himself to be broken and to be slain by darkness in order that he might purchase everything. These things might come free to us, but they don't come free to Jesus. It cost Jesus everything. For him to offer us all things, Jesus had to sacrifice himself. Jesus had to give up everything. Jesus gave up perfect worship. There was a time when Jesus was being worshipped by the angels, including Lucifer. There was a time when Jesus was being worshipped by, by legions of angels, when he was reigning in perfect justice. And you know what the Bible says? That he looked into the world and knowing what it is that we would do, knowing what Adam would do, Jesus said, I will die for them. I will live the life that they should have lived. I will die the death that they should have died in order that they might have life and have it in abundance. There is an old Viking story you probably know the, those comic books called Asterix. You remember them? Uh, very fun uh, comic stories uh, about the, you know, the, those kings, the Vikings. There's a story about a king who uh, had a, was in his kingdom. He started realizing that things were disappearing in his palace. And, and, and people were like, okay, all right, please, whoever is stealing from the king, stop it. All right? And the king said, by the way, whoever is found will have to die. But things kept disappearing. And then one day, they didn't have CCTV cameras, but one day they had a guy who was placed to, to watch out for, uh, for, this, for, this, for this thief. They found the thief and they realized that it was the king's grandmother. And so just to be just, right, uh, and to be fair, the king said, all right, sorry, grandma, but you have to die. And so in those days, what they used to do is that you would be tied to a pole and they would take a whip that, had, that was like uh, a wood with metal spikes and they would whip you until all was on your back was shreds of meat and blood. And they went and tied the grandmother. And everyone is wondering, oh my goodness, what is going to happen? And then just before they went and started whipping, the king went and removed his robe. He went and wrapped himself around his grandmother. And he said, strike. And of course the guy is like, I can't do that. But he said, no, I have to be just. And I have to, to be both loving. And that's exactly what happened. The king would later die the horrible, most horrible death as he watched his grandmother become free while he was shredded to death. That's exactly what God has done for us. 
That's exactly what Jesus, the good shepherd, has done for us. He has come into the crosshairs of the enemy. He has accepted to be slashed all the way to his death so that he might purchase all these things. Friends, we have talked about the meaning of the good shepherd. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he really means I am the true king. And no earthly leaders will ever sustain the hopes that we have. Jesus' ministry as a good king and as a good shepherd means that he knows us intimately, means that he gives us safety and security, means that he truly satisfies us, and means that he sacrifices his life for us. What then is the mission of this good shepherd? What is the mission of this true and noble king? Verse 16 tells us, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Friends, Jesus is on a mission. He wants to reconcile people from every nation and every people group. Jesus wants the Kachin of India, right, the, 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 the most remote tribes in Turkana, all of them to come under his feet and under his shepherding, under his kingship. This is the mission of Jesus. And you know what that means? That we have the mighty and awesome privilege to become a part of that mission. The mission of Mamlaka is that we are being empowered to transform nations, to transform communities around us and then the nations. So the thing that we have to do is to accept the call. What would you do if you were that grandmother to the king? If the king or the son to the king asked you to do anything, would you ask if they asked you to jump? Would you say why? Oh boy, you would say how high? How high do you want me to jump? The mission of this king is that there would be one flock. And you know how that one flock comes about in John chapter 17 verse 20. It says, I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is the most astounding thing, that God can bring people from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive through feeble words of faithful evangelists. Feeble words of faithful evangelists, that God can change the destiny of a human being, that somebody who was spiritually dead can become spiritually alive. Oh, what a noble task that we have in our hands. Let me close by asking us three questions. Number one, do you know the shepherd? Do you know the good shepherd? How you know the good shepherd is to recognize first and foremost that he has lived the life that you should have lived. He has died the death that you should have died. He has sacrificed his life for you so that you might have life. Friends, we have a good shepherd and the question is, do we know him? That is the one question that we get to face up at the end of history. We get to be asked, did you have a vital relationship with Jesus? Christian, I praise God that you have turned to this shepherd. I praise God that you have fled the wicked ruler that is Satan and fled to Jesus. But do you have a vital relationship with him? The letters that are written to the seven churches in the book of Revelations, one of them is the church at Ephesus. And we are told that Jesus commends them. Jesus talks about them and he says, I know your works. I know that you are able to tell those who are false apostles and those who are true apostles. Jesus commends them. He says, I know that there are good stuff about you. But you know what he says? But you have forgotten the first love. 
Friends, it is possible as Christians to go along and to forget Jesus, to leave behind. Do you have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ? And guess what? He is even now waiting. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're here and you've been feeling distant from Jesus, you've been feeling distant from God, guess what? That's not how he wants things to be. Jesus wants real intimacy with you. The same book in the book of Revelation, it talks about how Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And it says if anyone will open, he will come in and have intimacy, have fellowship with them. Jesus wants to be intimately connected to us. But secondly, let me ask you this, morning, this afternoon, are you discouraged? Are you anxious about your life? Are you anxious about uh, your business? The fact that you are right now under the crippling weight of debt. Are you worried about your future and you don't know what uh, tomorrow holds? Dear friends, I want to ask you to run to Jesus. I want to ask you to cast your burdens upon Jesus. This is not an exercise in futility. I know a guy called Paul in the Bible who the Bible tells us that he had a thorn in this flesh. Now we don't know what it was. But it's probably, it probably was a, a very fatal or a very uh, painful thing that he was literally facing in his body. So we don't know what it was. Perhaps it was on account of the time that he was uh, slashed, he was, he was whipped 39 times, um, five times, right? And so he probably had a sickness in his body. And the Bible tells us that he went to God and he cried to God in three times. I believe it means three seasons of crying out to God and saying, God, remove this sickness. Remove this thorn in the flesh. Take it away from me. The Bible tells us that God did the exact opposite. He did not remove the flesh, but he told, told Paul, guess what? My grace will be sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes it's not the circumstances that need to change. Sometimes it's our perspective that needs to change. When we cast our burdens upon Jesus, the Bible says that Paul emerged from that place victorious. He emerged from that place and the Bible says he was a different person. The same thing happened to Jesus, our very own Lord, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He told his disciples, I am sorrowful unto death. That was Jesus looking at the cup that he was going to suffer. And he said, I am sorrowful unto death. And the Bible said that he spent time in prayer. And he spent time casting his burdens to the Father. And you know what happened? He emerged from that place and said, go. Let us go and meet my accusers. He was a different person. If you are anxious, discouraged this afternoon, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Cast your burdens upon the good shepherd. He cares and he will care for you. He will carry you. Sometimes the circumstance, the situation may not change even immediately. Perhaps you've been in that situation for a long time. But if you keep casting your burdens to the Lord, he will carry you. But thirdly and lastly, will we engage, be engaged in God's mission? Will we be in, engaged in this mission of bringing one flock? Will we pray for the nations? One, uh, uh, one, some guys called... Uh, Operation World have, have made it possible for us to preach to people who've not have heard about this, this, uh, this Lord. You have the wonderful privilege to participate in the mission here at Mamlaka. Do you know that every time you serve God's people here, you are furthering the mission of Jesus. You're continuing with the work of Jesus. 
You're continuing with the work of bringing the nations to Christ. I praise God that today we have technology that allows people to listen everywhere. Once in a while I've, I've met people who said, oh yeah, I was in Singapore, I was listening to you. And I'm like, praise God. Praise God that even through media, we can reach the nations with the gospel. Will you continue to be faithful in your mission? And I'd like to welcome the, uh, perhaps a musician here and there uh, for us to just do just that. I want to invite those of us who are here who do not have a relationship with this shepherd. And I want to ask that you would consider this, morning, this afternoon fleeing from Satan and fleeing to Jesus. Go to where there is safety and security. Go to where there is pasture. Go to where there is satisfaction. Go to where there is a true shepherd who genuinely cares for you. But I also want to pray for those of us who are here and have perhaps been trusting the Lord for different things. You've been praying about this thing. You've asked the Lord to take this pain away. You've asked the Lord, no, Lord, take this stone in the flesh for me. And maybe that has remained for a while. Oh, I want to commend you to the good shepherd. I want to commend you to this true and noble king. And I want to ask you to cast your burdens. And my prayer is that your life will radically be different. That you will not relate to that situation the same way. You know, many of us sometimes are faced with different things and we start being very, very angry and disappointed at God. And so once in a while what we do is that we actually start just drawing away. You start quitting real groups slowly. You stop praying and say, God, if, if you're not hearing my prayers, then what business do I have following you? Well, I want to ask that we would entrust ourselves and cast our burdens to the Lord. So I don't know if we can sing that song, Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus, even as we cast our burdens today to the Lord. Amen? And so, Father, we thank you for you are the good shepherd, the true king, the one who is able, Lord, to fulfill on your manifesto, the one who is able to carry all our hopes, all our aspirations. Thank you because, God, we can look to you and we can turn to you, O oh God. And Father, I come to you this afternoon and I pray for my dear friends who may not be part of the fold. They don't know you, O oh Lord. God, I pray that you would grant that light would break, would break through in their hearts. I pray that you would encourage those who are here this morning, believers who've been looking to you, God, and are perhaps very discouraged in a season of difficulty, O oh Lord. Father, I pray that you, the good shepherd, will minister to them in a very special way, that you would help them to know that they have safety and security in you, that you would ha uh, help them to know that you intimately know them, that there is nothing in their lives, O oh God, that is happening right now outside of your knowledge that you are with them, that you are carrying them through, O oh God. Sometimes all we need to know is that you are with us. We sang earlier that you are working it out for us. Thank you because, God, indeed this is true. Romans 8 tells us that you are working everything for our good. So whatever it is that we might be going through, Lord, we can trust ourselves. We can entrust ourselves to you. I pray that, Lord, you would help our dear friends uh, this morning who have perhaps found it difficult to lay down their burdens before you. God, I pray that you would encourage, that you would help uh, my dear friends, oh God, this afternoon to truly entrust themselves to you, to entrust themselves to the shepherd of their souls who is able to carry them through, oh God. I pray that, Lord, you would deepen all of us, our relationship with you. 
Help us this week to, to make progress in our relationship with you. To cut out distractions and everything, Lord, that may hinder, oh God, everything that hinders us from running the race. I pray that you would help us to set it aside so that we might have our very vital relationship with the Good Shepherd. We thank you and we bless you. We pray these things, believing and trusting in your son's holy name. Amen.